There is nothing quite like being out on the water after twilight, is there? Except for the soft lapping against the side of the boat. Everything is quiet. Everything is still. A canopy of gray every now and then teases the glow of a hesitant moon, sending dancing light upon the rippling black. Moments like that are, are, are awe-inspiring, aren't they? they? They bring a sense of peace, a feeling that though there are maybe a million responsibilities and challenges waiting back at shore, there's a, there's a hidden constant of ever-flowing motion, testifying to a, a deeper meaning to life. There's something bigger, something better, something more. In solitude, in silence, we, when we pause and take time to reflect, to wonder, to pray, that's when we sometimes feel closest to our maker, don't we? But what about when the Santa Anas come blowing? You don't have to live in Southern California for long to know the, the ferocity, the heat, the danger that comes with that invisible force from the east. I mean, skin dries out and eyes itch and, and sinuses flare, sending this throbbing, pulsating agony through your head. Some have called it the devil wind. <laughs> it's an uninvited evil that pushes its way into our lives and wreaks havoc. i got to admit, when the Santa Anas come, I don't feel very close to God. <laughs> Those are the moments when I feel like he's left me. He's abandoned me to fight and claw and struggle and strive through a life that just seems like it's raging out of control. What form do the Santa Anas take in your life? What are the things that rage? The things that thrash, that mercilessly toss you back and forth like a rag doll and there's nothing that you or anyone else can do about it. What are the Santa Anna's in your life? How should we respond to the uncontrollable storms of life? In our passage today, Mark 4:35 to 6:6, Mark records the eyewitness accounts of four separate events that were outside of the scope of human control. There was no solution. There was no remedy. There was no stopping them. Like the Santa Anas, there was nothing that could be done to turn them off. Nothing. You just have to douse the sails, batten down the hatches, and brace for the worst. Mark describes an unstoppable storm, an uncontrollable madman, an incurable medical condition, and a little girl whose life was irrevocably pried from her fingertips. Let's look briefly at each of them. No doubt most of us are already familiar with how the stories unfold. After teaching on the shores of Galilee, and the sun went down, 
Jesus tells his inner circle to set sail for the other side of the lake. That's what verse 35 tells us of chapter 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, it says in verse 36. It's possible that all 12 of the apostles, that inner circle, that maybe they weren't able to all fit into one boat. And so maybe there were, mul- there were multiple boats here, it says. And I imagine that probably some of the crowd maybe were able to commission some other boats. They wanted to continue to be with them, to follow him, and they went along as well. What's important for us to notice here, though, is that there were eyewitnesses. This is an eyewitness Account, And that's why we have such vivid detail here. Verse 37 says this. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now the Galilean Sea, you may know this, it's known for sudden blasts of wind sweep, come sweeping over it. The freshwater lake, it measures 13 miles long, and seven miles wide, it sits 690 feet below sea level, surrounded by cliffs and hills. That's the geography. So when the cool air of the north meets the warm air that's hovering just above the water's surface, these fierce winds come blasting through the canyons and the valleys, and they create these violent conditions on the sea. That's not all that uncommon. It was nothing new. At least four of these apostles, some argue that maybe even seven of Jesus' men, they were fishermen. They were accustomed to this. They knew how it worked. But what Mark Mark describes here seems to be something different. These seasoned men, when they encountered this storm, It throws them into a sort of panic. Uh, They're fearing for their lives now. As the boats were tossed about, water comes spilling in from the side faster than they could bail it out. No outboard motor to power them to shore. (laughs) They couldn't speed on through this and get to safety. No hope of winning the battle. It's clear, we're bailing water, and it just keeps coming in and coming in and coming in. We see the water line inside. It's rising, and that's when they turn to Jesus. That's the right place to turn, right? It's a place I hope that you and I know that we need to look when those tough times, those storms of life start beating us up. We need to look to Jesus. But Jesus was out like a light. He was gone. Verse 38 tells us that Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Now, how can you sleep in a storm like that? How do you on earth do you not wake up when you're soaked to the bone with water and you have it splashing and sloshing on the floor, maybe splashing in your face? Well, Jesus must have been wiped out. 
Remember the crowds, they weren't giving him an inch of room. He didn't even have time to eat, it says in previous chapter. He, 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 wherever he went, they were there. Even when he went home, they were there. He couldn't escape. Even uh, recently, we just read um, that uh, he said, get a boat ready because the crowd is, there's so many people here. They're, they're, it's, it's crushing. We may need to jump in the boat and I may need to teach from there. And that's what he actually did. Have you ever been really, really tired? Given all you can. Body just can't give anymore. You can't go on any longer. Well, you're not alone. Jesus experienced that. Because he was not only fully God, he was also fully human. He knew exactly what it was like to be completely exhausted. Now, I've slept through earthquakes. I've slept through fire sirens, screaming children, But I don't know anyone who's ever been so tired that they were able to sleep through having water dumped onto their face. Jesus was tired. When they saw that the wind and the water wasn't going to wake him, someone finally stumbled over and said, Jesus, what are you doing? Why aren't you helping? Don't you realize what's going on? Don't you care that we're all about to die? It says in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now there's something in that cry that we resonate with, right? We understand it, especially in light of the conditions. We, when we look at the season that we're going through, So one hard thing after another, 2020 was a mess, 2021, it has its challenges as well, and it looks like we're going to be in this for a long time, maybe in the midst of politics not going the way that you like, maybe in the midst of of freedoms that that have been threatened, or maybe they've been taken away completely, or or cries for unity that that really veil an oppressive demand for conformity, or or in the midst of confusion and inadequacy and and, and complete helplessness that we feel in the presence of this uninvited, invisible enemy that has forced many to, to go into hiding, to shut down our businesses, has filled our hospitals, and left holes in our hearts from loved ones lost, maybe in the midst of all of that, we've been tempted to ask, God, don't you care? Where are you? We understand the cries of these poor souls, don't we? Their boats are sinking. And yet at the same time, what kind of question is this for these 12 men who are closest to Jesus to ask him? They knew who Jesus was. They had seen him do incredible things. They knew that he had authority like no other. Of course Jesus cared. That's why he had come in the first place. That's why he had called them into that inner circle from, out from everyone else, despite their weird flaws and their faults and their, their eccentricities. He chose them. Of course he cared. That's why he was, he was filling them in on the meaning of those parables. He was going to send them out, and he cared about them, so he was preparing them for when they would be sent out. That's why each and every day, he was willingly putting one foot in front of the other, 
heading toward the cross. Jesus cared. Of course he cared. You and I know Jesus cares, right? We know it. I hope we know it. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares on him for what? He cares for you. Maybe you've placed your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for the salvation of your soul. And yet, isn't it so often the case that when the Santa Anas blow and our lives darken, the storm clouds form, when we find ourselves face-to-face with an obstacle that's, that's beyond our control, isn't it so often the case that that's when we fail to remember who Jesus is? And we fail to stand confidently on the words that he has spoken. Not only did the disciples know who Jesus was, they had heard his word. He told them in verse 45, let's go across to the other side of the lake. That was his word. He said it. And if they believed him, they would have had no doubt that that's exactly where they were going to end up. They were going to get there, even though the waves were crashing. And Jesus said, we're going, so it's going to happen. But when the storm came, when the right circumstances showed up, they weren't so sure. <laughs> yes, Jesus, we've seen you do some pretty cool stuff. But this one, can't we agree, it's bigger than us all. How do you respond when the uncontrollable storms of life come? Little did they know it, but another storm was coming. We move forward. We're just going to skip ahead just a little bit here to chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him a man out of the to- uh, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Do you ever feel like it's just one thing after another? You can't get a break. Just as soon as you say goodbye to one problem, the doorbell rings and there's another waiting to say hello. Or maybe it's a whole host of problems, a whole family of problems, just like when my family, <laughs> I'm the oldest of eight kids, six boys, two girls. When we showed up at someone's door, I have no doubt that people must have thought, hide the china, get the mop ready, brace yourself, because this is going to be a storm. And I'm sure the disciples, as they reached the shore, they were thinking, okay, we're going to wring out our clothes. We're going to get a fire going. We're going to sit back. We're going to chat about what we just experienced. Maybe they thought that going to this other side of the lake, a place that was not as populated, hey, we're getting away from the crowds. Jesus has taken us uh, for some R&R. This is a little kickback time, a little vacation time. We're going to take a breather before what happens next. But that's not the way things worked out. As soon as their feet touch the sand, the crazy man comes running out to meet them. Verse 3. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. 
But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. No one could bind this man. Not by force, not by shackles, not by chains. He was like some sort of like superhero, supervillain, or super madman empowered by de- demonic spirits that were dwelling inside of him. And some people think that they can somehow tap into the spiritual world and they can actually summon the forces of evil and and manipulate them to do their own bidding. I've actually encountered some people like that. But when the Bible describes people who have opened themselves up to demonic spirits, it's the demons who do the controlling. And that was the case here. This man was at their mercy. He was under their control. And it was destroying him. It destroyed his relationships. It was destroying his health. He was cutting himself with stones. Luke 8.27 tells us he was naked. He was unprotected from the elements. He was living in gruesome conditions, dwelling in the tombs. And he was being used to attack Every traveler that passed by, Matthew 8, 28 says, he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. Anyone who knew anything about that area said, you don't go that way. Watch out for that guy. This man was at the demon's mercy. This is a picture of a man completely wrecked. Wrecked. He was beyond help. He was a terror to to others. He was a terror to himself. And there he was, flying down the hillside toward Jesus and his companions. A storm was coming. A storm of a different kind. There's another storm that Mark describes later on in verse 21. After sailing back across the lake, finding themselves Once again, surrounded by the crowds, a ruler of the synagogue, he pushes his way through until he comes face to face with Jesus. Here we go again. The 12 must have thought, here we go again. Now we're going to hear it once again from these religious elites. How are they going to try to fillet Jesus this time? But this time was different. The man, Jairus, falls at Jesus' feet. He pleads with him. Verse 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. What a relief those disciples must have thought. Finally, something that we know that Jesus can do. You say your little little girl's sick? Well, get ready for a show. The healer is on the move. He's going to take care of this. Just you watch. Little did they know, though, that looming in the crowd was another impossible challenge. Jesus was going with Jairus. Verse 24 says this, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, 
and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Unstoppable storm, uncontrollable madman, and now incurable, worsening bleeding. Storm number four. Well, he was on his way back to the sick girl's aid. Verse 35 says this. There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. She's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Everyone knows, as everyone has always known, that when death comes calling, the final curtain drops that's it. You're done. We hold on to hope right up to the end. Maybe even a few minutes after that last drumbeat of the heart stops. But once the medics call it and the paddles are put back into the case, it's over. There was no doubt in the mind of these messengers. Your daughter is dead. She's gone. It's over. Let's, let's let Jesus go his way. Maybe he can help someone else who still has a chance. Have you been there? Past the point of no return. Beyond hope. Where there, there's nowhere left to turn but towards that desolate horizon marked by sorrow, suffering, and lost. This is what life is going to be. This is the new normal. Forever changed. How do you respond when you find yourself in that place? When control has been, has, it's slipped from your fingers and there's nothing more that you or anyone else can do. Is that the moment you finally say, you know, I don't care what people have told me or how many sermons or verses I've heard. All I can ask right now is, Jesus, do you even care? Are you even real? Do you care about what I'm going through? Because, you know, if you did, I can't see how on earth you could let it continue. Have you been there? But the reality is, Jesus does know. He knows exactly what you're going through. In fact, he not only knows, but as the one who is completely in control, the reality is he's allowed you to be in that very place for a reason. And Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm in the sea that night. He actually led them into it. He wasn't taken aback by that crazy man running down the hillside, screaming, naked, murder in his eyes. He wasn't alarmed by that. That madman is why they crossed over in the first place. Right after dealing with him, they head back to the other side. He wasn't, he, when he was touched by that, that woman in the crowd, he knew exactly just how helpless and, and desperate she was. He knew she was there. 
And he knew that stopping to help her just for a moment, that would be the difference between life and death for that little girl. He, he could have kept on walking, couldn't he? He could have just kept on going. Not giving her any attention at all. You know, she got what she wanted. Good for her. Well, we've got, we've got an important thing to get to. There's someone who needs us right now, so I, I can't stop. I gotta, I gotta go. But no, he stopped. He stopped for a reason. He stopped so that that girl who was deathly ill would not just be very, very sick when he got there. She would be dead when he got there. Jesus knew. Back when I was in school, they taught us that the last thing you should ever tell anyone who is experiencing intense grief, maybe they've lost a loved one, the last thing that you should ever tell them is that God is in control. That he has a plan, that he has a purpose for allowing the pain that they're going. Don't tell them that. That's not what they want to hear. That's not what they need to hear. And you know what? I think, I think there's something to that. I think there is a, a time and a place to talk about God's sovereignty. He's always sovereign, but maybe that's not the right time. But I also think that that's why we need to get the truth into our heads, that truth, that God has a purpose, that, he's, that he is in control before the pain comes, before the storms inevitably strike us. We need to know that beforehand. These things don't happen by accident. Jesus is the master and commander of our lives. He not only knows when the wind will blow, when they will blow, he sometimes steers us directly into them. That's because he knows that there's something far more important than our health or our comfort in life. Do you remember that J.C. Ryle quote? Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Now that's a difficult reality to face, but it's exactly what Jesus was aiming for here in these four encounters. He was giving those around him a chance to see him for who he really was. The storms that you and I face in life are actually opportunities to see ever more clearly that Jesus is Lord of all. He wants us to see that. He wants us to see that he is Lord of all. He is the master and commander. He is in control of your out of control. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? We're desperate here. We've been through storms before, but nothing like this. There's nothing we can do. We're losing the battle. We're sinking. Verse 39 of chapter 4, And he awoke and rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. Jesus spoke, and everything stopped. Not gradually. No, it was all at once. It was all of a sudden. It was unmistakable. The stillness was shocking. The silence was deafening. At the sound of Jesus' voice, the storm made a hard, definitive stop. Now, it wasn't that the wind and the waves were alive somehow. It's not that they have some type of ears and they could audibly hear or minds to think or even wills to obey. No, this is just a demonstration of the power behind the spoken word of God. The same power that was behind the words that brought creation into existence, that power was now at work commanding the wind and the waves to cease, to desist. And all at once, every single eyewitness became soberly aware this was no ordinary man. This wasn't even a superman. This guy with them in the boat was the creator himself. Nobody tells the wind and the waves what to do. Nobody. They're outside of anyone's control. But right then, right there, they realized that Jesus was in control of the out of control. Absolute control. On the shore. The raving naked man comes running down, stops in his tracks, falls to the ground, and cries out in a loud voice, Mark 5, 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. The man had never seen Jesus before, and yet the spirits who saw him knew exactly who he was. They were terrified at the sight of him, powerful as they were, as firm a hold as they had on this man's mind, and as chain-breaking strong as they were able to enable his muscles to be. No match for Jesus. Not even close. Jesus asks their name, not because he didn't know, but because he wanted everyone to see just how great and terrible a force was dwelling inside this man. Verse 9 tells us that the man replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Everyone around knew that a Roman legion could be as many as 6,000 soldiers. How many spirits were in this guy? Verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Poor pigs, you might be thinking. Oh my goodness, Peter would be dying to hear this. How could Jesus do such a terrible thing? Allow these demons to harm these animals. Well, realize this. Realistically speaking, it was just a matter of time before these pigs were going to be butchered anywhere anyway. But more importantly, by allowing this to happen, 
Jesus made it clear to everyone just how destructive these demons actually were. 2,000 pigs go on a mad dash to the sea, mad dash to their death. That means there were at least 2,000 demons. And every single one of them, every single one of those 2,000 plus demons was absolutely terrified and powerless in the presence of Jesus. Same went for the incurable medical condition. That woman in the crowd. What's even more amazing here is that Jesus didn't even have to do anything. He didn't have to hear the symptoms. He didn't have to hear about her medical history. He didn't even have to turn around and look at her. She just touched him. And what was impossible for any doctor to do, no matter how much money she gave them, was now instantaneously done. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. She felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease My friends, that's power. The girl, she was dead. Why waste your time? (laughs) The time for miracles, that time has passed, Jesus. Go go help someone else. Verse 40, they laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? Then Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping And their laughing tells us there was no doubt in their minds that this girl was long gone. She was truly dead. Make no mistake. I think that's why Mark puts this in here. She was most definitely dead. But he put them all outside. Took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. You see, time after time, storm after storm, One uncontrollable situation after another, Jesus showed himself to be master and commander in control of the out of control. They should have already known that, though. If they had been truly listening, if they had taken his words to heart and had held on to them as their sure and steady foundation for their faith, the winds and the, the waves, that wouldn't have led them to ask that question, to ask, Jesus, do you even care? Jesus confronted their unbelief in chapter 4, verse 40. He says, why? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? How do you respond to the uncontrollable storms of life? How do you respond? Are those the moments 
When the words of the master and commander, they, they, they come rushing back to your head and they remind you of the powerful hands to which you have entrusted yourself. There's a lot more here. We haven't even mentioned the reactions of the disciples or the, of the townspeople that heard about the, the demaddened madmen or, or of the woman who touched Jesus or the people who saw that 12-year-old girl uh, walk out of the room that she had died in. We'll have to save that for later. I, I think the important thing for us right now is to consider whether or not we have become so familiar with the idea of Jesus that we're no longer at a place where we marvel at his power. Find ourselves falling into unbelief. Have we become so familiar? In the first few verses of chapter 6, we find Jesus back in his hometown. He's teaching in the synagogue, and many were astonished by his teaching, but it didn't take long before some began to recall who he was. They asked, is, this, isn't, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and, and Judas, and Simon, and are not these his sisters here with us? And Mark says they took offense at him. Because they knew something already about him, they were unimpressed. They didn't think that he should feel the right to teach them anything or tell them that they needed to repent or needed a savior. Too familiar. As much as you and I may think that we know him, if you find yourself becoming unimpressed by who he is or what he's able to do in your life, if you're thinking that he can't possibly teach you anything more than you already know, then I think you don't know him as you ought. We read Jesus didn't even bother to do many miracles in his hometown. Instead, he just marveled because of their unbelief. What will Jesus find when the Santa Anas rage hard in your life? Remember, you might feel close to God in those quiet, still moments. But it's in the storms where we're given the opportunity to see ever more clearly that Jesus is Lord of all. To a weary, storm-blown people, Isaiah wrote, Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall Mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As you prepare for the next gust of wind, hold on to what you know. Be watching for what you have to learn. Trust the master and commander, and keep your eyes on the one who is in control of your out of control.
Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the master and commander, the one who came and astonished everyone by controlling what could not be controlled. Jesus displayed himself to be miraculously, magnificently powerful, an authority that only the authority of the Creator can display. Jesus, you are Lord of all, and we look to you for the storms that we are going through in our lives. They are many, they are ferocious, and in many ways, Lord, we feel like it is completely out of our control. We are tempted to give in to panic. We are tempted to give in to anger. We are tempted to rise up and do things that we know are not Christ-like, Lord. But lead us to look to you with eyes of faith and trust and expect to see you do what you want to do, not only in this world, but in our own lives. We love you. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.